passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 180 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. NFL is in the thick of it, college football is in the thick of it, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You're going to find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends on Bet Online. Bet Online also is your number one spot for all your favorite sports betting, like Major League Baseball playoffs. MMA, NBA season tipped off this week. They also have tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag and receive an 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, B-L-E-A-V to receive your bonus. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 180, for the love of the game. Let's get this work. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, I'm married to this gang. That's who I made my wife. Said I'd die alone. I told that she probably right. One thing that's for sure, not a stranger to this life. Got a safe that's full of Franklin's and a shoulder full of Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 180 for the love of the game. And today is a big day. Big, big day for New York sports. We've got the Knicks opening night against the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis. But we have game one of the ALCS Yankees Astros. The Yankees advance. Looked a little grim there, but the Yankees took care of business in five games, beating the Cleveland Guardians in game five yesterday, five to one. Really nice come from behind series win for the New York Yankees. It wasn't pretty. It really wasn't. They hit about 180 for the series. Not good. Aaron Judge, the MVP of the AL, had a brutal series. He hit 200, struck out in his first eight at-bats, just absolutely gross. He hit a couple of home runs, so that was good, but not great. It was a feast or famine type series, and that kind of baseball is not going to work against the Houston Astros. We're going to talk about this series in greater detail with the recurring guest, but the formula for relying on the long ball against the Astros just isn't going to work. The Astros are too good. They're going to have to play better. The weather really hurt the New York Yankees with the scheduling because tonight you have Jamison Tyone against Justin Verlander. Don't love their odds, but as I said in the guest segment with recurring guest Andrew Sender, if the Yankees can get one, and Luis Severino to me is the key to this series because I think he's going to pitch game two. If the Yankees can get one and then they have Cole and Nestor pitching at home, who they both pitch very well at home, maybe there's a chance. Am I super optimistic? No, but you're in it. We're here now, ALCS, and for all the negativity around this Yankee team, this Yankee team has been in the ALCS three times in the last six years. It's hard to hate on that, so excited for the Yankees. But right now, the real excitement for New York sports seems to be The football teams, 
The New York Jets are four and two. The New York Jets season win over under was five and a half in Vegas. And right now the Jets are four and two. They pulled one out of their ass against the Cleveland Browns. But right now they're playing good football. I mean, they beat the crap out of the Packers the other day. And the Jets young core that stemmed from the trade of Jamal Adams looks really, really good. Elijah Barrett Tucker, Brees Hall, Garrett Williams were basically all the result of that trade. I mean, what an incredible deal for the New York Jets. The Jets are 4-2. and two. I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe it. Friend of the program, Eric Zimmerman, likes to remind me of this all the time because I did bet the Jets under for season wins. Now, what Eric has failed to realize is that the Jets have not won six games yet, so that bet will not, you know, is not an automatic loser, but they're playing well. They're playing well, and Zach Wilson did have a great day Sunday. He really didn't, but they didn't have to because that defense is mean. I mean, Sauce Gardner is already one of the three best corners in the league. It's very rare for a rookie corner to be as good as he is immediately, but he is. He's excellent. It's why I wanted him to fall to the Giants, but the Giants seem to have done pretty well in their draft as well. We'll get to them in a second, but kudos to the New York Jets. Kudos. I said it before the season started, even if the Jets didn't win a lot of games. I thought they were going to be competitive and the future is bright. And maybe that bright future is coming quicker than we thought. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to watch for, for Jets fans who have not had a lot to cheer about in their history. So who knows? Stranger things have happened. But the New York Giants being 5-1 and one is absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Another come-from-behind win against the Baltimore Ravens which was revenge for Wink Martindale. It's been validation for things I've said about Lamar Jackson. I'll repeat them in a second, but how about the New York Giants? Saquon Barkley is awesome. Daniel Jones is playing really well given the circumstances. And the Giants, they're just, the coaching, I can't even say it enough about the coaching. I said it last episode, and I'll say it again this episode. The coaching for them, the upgrade from Joe Judge to Brian Dable is worth about six or seven wins a year. Wild. Absolutely wild. The Giants may win 10 games. The Giants are in a really good position to make the playoffs. This is crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Like, I'm, I'm giddy over this. And, yeah, they still stress me out. But even when they get down for a team that is not explosive outside of Saquon Barkley, they have as limited a skill position room as there is in the NFL. But it doesn't seem to matter because there's a belief in that room that they're going to pull it out and win. I, I, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to me. And – we're going to get to Giants and picks against the spread again because they're going to be one of my picks again. I was 3-2 and two last week. We're going to get to that in just a second. But we're going to ride this Giants thing. This Brian Dayball thing's a real thing. It's a real, real thing. I, I just I can't believe it. And that brings me to Lamar Jackson. I want to preface this by I've repeated this before, but it needs to be repeated. Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback. Lamar Jackson was drafted 32nd overall, and he has exceeded draft expectations. A lot of the discourse around Lamar Jackson was because of, unfortunately, the color of his skin, and some NFL personnel people thought that he should just transition to receiver. Not because, you know, black quarterbacks can't succeed, just because they didn't think he could make all the throws. And then he goes out, he exceeds his draft status, he exceeds expectations, and he wins an MVP. Now, did he deserve the MVP that year? No, but he wins MVP. But now it's gotten to the point where it's like you put Lamar Jackson in the same room as 
Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, when they're right, Brady and Aaron Rodgers still. And that's just not the case. Lamar Jackson is not at that level. He's not, okay? And the running stuff is really cute in the regular season, and it works. But when it's nut crunching time in the playoffs, he can't make throws that other really good quarterbacks can make. A 15-yard in route, you know, basic 10-yard outs. He can't make them. And not just that, his coaching staff doesn't trust him to make them because they don't call them ever, all right? I think that's pretty telling. The way they call games, the way Greg Roman calls games is that they don't trust Lamar Jackson to make certain throws, okay? So now we get Lamar Jackson's contract is up, and they didn't get it done, and there's a lot of discourse again. A lot of it has to do with racial undertones, but I'm not even talking about that, all right? Lamar wants Deshaun Jackson money. Just because the Browns are stupid enough to give Deshaun Watson money, just because the Browns are stupid enough to give Deshaun Watson a ridiculous contract doesn't mean Lamar should get that contract, all right? There are two guys in the league that are worth the contract that Deshaun Watson got. That's Josh Allen and it's Patrick Mahomes, okay? If there's ever a question of would you rather so-and-so over Lamar Jackson, still in one game, would you rather Tom Brady in one game? Yes. Would you rather Aaron Rodgers, all things equal, in one game? Yes. Would you rather Justin Herbert? Probably. Would you rather Joe Burrow? Yes, because Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl last year, right? He's proven that he can go to the Super Bowl. In one game, would you rather Matt Stafford over Lamar Jackson? Probably yes. Okay? The fact that you can answer yes and have a debate about a bunch of these guys means that Lamar Jackson should not be the highest paid quarterback and i know the contracts you know it resets the market yada 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 still at a certain point the general managers and the owners have to say these contracts are getting out of hand and it's time that we fight back i mean the Dak prescott contract looks like the worst contract in pro sports only to possibly be outdone by the kyler murray contract all right so it's like at a certain point in a cap sport in a hard cap sport that football is it gets to a point where it's too much i'm serious when i say this if i was the baltimore ravens and lamar jackson was insisting on deshaun watson money i'd say go out and find it somewhere else go out and find it somewhere else and then we'll reset because he's not worth the amount of money based on his track record, specifically playoff track record, to be paid that percentage of the cap. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, who's won a Super Bowl, who's won multiple MVPs, all right? He signs a big deal, and look what it's done to the Green Bay Packers. And you would still be more comfortable giving it to Aaron Rodgers, even at his age, just because of the pedigree that he has and the track record of success. Lamar Jackson doesn't have that, all right? So... I wouldn't pay Lamar Jackson if I was the Ravens. I'd let him walk. He'd just start over again. But anyway, that's the uh, quick Lamar Jackson rant. So that brings us to picks against the spread. Finally had a winning week. 3-2 and two last week. 13-17 and 17 overall. Not great, but hopefully we're trending upwards. And I talked about the Giants. And we'll start with them. For some reason, they are plus three against the Jaguars in Jacksonville. I love the Jaguars. I have a soft spot for the Jaguars. But after the last three weeks, how can you justify having the Jaguars being three-point favorites at home against the Giants who are five and one? Give me the Giants plus three. At two, we're going back to the well. Lions plus seven against the Dallas Cowboys. It's still Cooper Rush. The Lions have the ability to put up points. They're coming off a bye. I think it's just a lot of points. I think the Lions keep it close. Three, we're going back to the well with the Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Chargers. Are the Chargers really that impressive to be favored at six and a half points? Plus, they don't really have a home field advantage. So give me Seattle 
at four, I'm going to take the Titans at home, minus two and a half against the Colts. I just think they're better. I don't trust the Colts. And at five, I've got the Texans, plus seven against the Raiders. The Raiders are one and four. Why should they be seven-point favorites against anybody? So, again, Giants plus three, Lions plus seven, Seattle plus six and a half, Titans minus two and a half, Texans plus seven. A lot of underdogs this week. That's where we're going with picks against the spread. One last, last thing. So, last night, NBA season tipped off. We had Philly and Boston. Both teams are going to be really good. And then we had the Golden State Warriors against the Lakers. And I'm only doing this because I have Laker fan friends in my life, and I just have to dump on them a little bit. So they're talking a lot of junk in the first quarter when the game's close. Anthony Davis is, quote-unquote, going off. What ends up happening? The Lakers go down 20. Steve Kerr starts flirting with lineups. Lakers make a little bit of a run, but it wasn't really a bit of a run, and they lose by 14 points. LeBron James is doing some stat padding, but this isn't about LeBron James, even though I definitely did enjoy that he had to look on as the Warriors got their rings. Steph Curry now is the same ring count as LeBron, and he didn't uh, go chase other free agents, and he kind of did what the team was drafted on. And not only that, LeBron ha- not only did LeBron have to watch a ring ceremony, but he took a 14-point beatdown to boot. It was just wonderful. Absolutely loved it. But my point is Anthony Davis. A minus 21 last night. The numbers looked okay. But if you watch the game, like, Laker fans are now convincing themselves that Anthony Davis being able to lead this team in the post-LeBron world, that it's going to go well. It's just not going to go well. It's just not. I mean, Anthony Davis is the most overrated player probably in professional sports right now, given where people talk about him and the talent that he is. He's He just doesn't have it, man. He just doesn't have it. He had it for two seasons, one with the Pelicans in 2018 and one with the Lakers when he was still second fill to LeBron James. And he got four months off to recover, all right? I'm so sick and tired of the Anthony Davis discourse. It's it's grotesque at this point. And that brings me to the larger point about L.A. sports. You know, it wasn't that long ago where L.A. was considered title town USA. The Dodgers won a Fugazi title. I mean, all that's happened since then is they've choked in the playoffs, even after getting Mookie Betts, even after getting Freddie Freeman. doesn't matter. When you play a real season – They don't seem to win. The Lakers win the bubble title. The Mickey Cup since then hasn't been very good. Doesn't look great. The Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl last year, but they don't have any fans. So spare me about this. L.A. being a title town. L.A. being a sports town. It's the fakest sports town there ever was. Just had to get that off my chest. Felt really good. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest and talk about the New York Yankees and their prospects going into next series in just a matter of moments. So Jewish holiday season is over, but it took up a lot of Mondays and Tuesdays, which made this tough. So we're actually going to record this on a Wednesday morning. The Yankees have defeated the Indians in five. I have recurring guest Andrew Sender on to talk about it. Andrew, what's good, bud? How we doing? Everything's great. You know, finally this holiday season is over. Missed a lot of school, but, uh, Happy to, you know, continue watching some playoff baseball and really excited for tonight in Houston. So my first two questions regarding the Indian series is what stood out to you most uh, regarding the Indian series and how it played out? And when they went down 2-1 and lost game three in the fashion that they lost it, what was your confidence level of them actually coming back and winning games four and five? Well... Personally, I was re- I was honestly shocked. I took a video of myself after they hit the walk-off hit, and I was just straight-faced, didn't know what to think because it was so mind-blowing to me that Clark Schmidt was in the game. You know, Obviously, it's not a do-or-die game, but in my head, it kind of is because you know, you're on the road, and the next game is also on the road. So why would you want to be in a, in a real elimination game on the road? So I wasn't sure why we didn't 
you know, at least keep Wandy in or deploy Clay in that situation. And then obviously hearing the press conferences with, oh, Clay was only an emergency, but how is that not an emergency? But whatever. But yeah, confidence was definitely really low after game three. Um, you know, Cleveland's a really good team. They put the ball in play. They can, you know, they can get runs. But um, it, it was just, yeah, really big confident blow after that game. Yeah, I I was actually shocked that Wandy pitched as long as he did. You know, in that game, if Boone was going to the bullpen and he was basically just trying to count outs, right? And then all of a sudden he brings out Wandy for the, the next inning. I was just like, well, why don't you just like count outs and then try and just get three outs with the next guy and keep guys fresh? Like it just didn't make any sense to me. And, okay, so they string together, what was it, five straight singles. They give up three runs in the ninth inning. It was like the first time the Yankees had ever done that in their, like, history or something like that. It was so absurd. So I was a little down, and obviously we had been down on Garrett Cole this year. He had an up-and-down year, very imbalanced year. But my biggest takeaway from the series was Garrett Cole because of all the noise that was surrounding Garrett Cole about him being a big game pitcher, about him not being an ace, about him being overpaid, all this stuff. Well, push comes to shove, he got two wins in this series. And he was really good in game one, and he was money in game four. And Garrett Cole shut up a lot of the haters. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, no, 100%. And honestly, I think the biggest, um, I, I mean, the best thing about this whole series was I'm watching game five. They're up by four runs, and all you see is Cole warming up with the bullpen. I mean, this guy is a dog. He wants to win it more than anybody on this team. And that's just a fact. But he was sensational in games one and one and four. I mean, look, this is a really hard team to pitch against. They put the ball in play, especially for a guy like Cole who wants to get strikeouts. They do a really good job putting the ball in play. And he shoved. Look, Quan owned him in the two starts. Owned him. Rightfully so. Quan is a great hitter. But he took that. Didn't phase him. The, the Josh Naylor home run. Didn't phase him. He got back to pitching. And that seventh inning, oh, my goodness, in, the, in game four, that was some of the best baseball I've seen. Just going straight at hitters, knowing, you know what, my stuff is better. You got to beat me. And I love that. And when he got the big fist pump after the strikeout, oh, you could just tell the the Garrett Cole of the of the postseason that we wanted is he's back. And I hope big things are to come for him against Houston. And say what you want about Garrett Cole. Obviously, the start against the Red Sox last year was a train wreck. But for the most part, and the 2020 playoffs, we'll just put them aside because let's be honest. That World Series is not the same as a standard World Series. It's just not. The circumstances are completely different. Like, he's pitched well for the Yankees in the playoffs. Like, his only non-quality start, really, was the Red Sox game. Yeah, no, I mean, and you know what? Look, the numbers don't lie. He clearly has trouble pitching in Fenway. I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that obviously, you know, it's a humongous blemish on his Yankee career that he blew that game in the wild card in Fenway. But at the and end of the day, the first, and he's not the first guy to no, struggle in Fenway park. No, he's not. I mean, look, it's, it is, it's a tough place to pitch. It is, you know, when you're warming up in the bullpen, there are fans right on top of you. It can get in your head, but whatever it is, Besides the fact the Red Sox are not in the playoffs and it doesn't look like they'll be in the playoffs anytime soon. So we don't really have to worry about it. But yeah, Garrett Cole has really been phenomenal in the playoffs. He's been our only consistent pitcher throughout the last three years in the playoffs. So, you know, kudos to him. He's he looked great. And, you know, I really hope he can continue this against Houston because we have not seen him pitch against a really, really good team. Obviously, the Red Sox were a really good team. But Houston's a different animal, and I'm very curious personally to see how he throws against them. Well, I think he's going to be going, what, game two of that series, the way it all worked out? No, I would think he's probably going to go game three because game two is tomorrow, and he pitched on short rest. I don't think they want to push him again. Right. Um, yeah, that and it, makes sense. Yeah, and it kind of – I think they're going to go Tyone and then Sevy because Sevy hasn't pitched in a while. So I think it's going to be Tyone, Sevy, then Cole – 
then probably Nestor, and then you know we'll we'll keep moving like that. Well, we're gonna get to the scheduling and how the rain really screwed the Yankees. Um, they also not taking care of business in Game Two really hurt them long term, but. The weather, the weather was not kind to the New York Yankees, but I, I wanted to just quickly touch on Josh Naylor for a second. This, this fucking guy. All right. I mean, congratulations, bro. You, you hit 22 home runs in the regular season. Like, whoop the freaking do The stupid rock the baby, big nuts thing. He hits a home run. His team was already down in the game. They were still down in the game. That guy get lost oh and by the way he had under 200 for the series so that guy can go fuck right off yeah and honestly i loved nothing made me feel better than when i saw glaber torres catch the ball a second start rocking the baby i'm like you know what you totally deserve that you cannot stunt a home run and run around the bases like a psychopath when you're losing it wasn't a game tying homer. It was to make it three to two. You were still losing the game. Why you celebrate? Like, take it easy. Run the freaking bases. You can do your little celebration off the base path in, in the dugout. But for everyone to see trying to go crazy, it was a three two ball game. You were still losing. And, and, not, and not even that, you're not a good baseball player. <laughs> like, he's just not. He, he's so incredibly average. Like, where yeah. did this guy get off? It's unbelievable. Like you'd think, like this guy would hit, be the MVP the way he he runs around and carries himself. But he, you know, he's not that good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you're the number five hitter who hit 270 on a team that was below average offensively that won 92 games in arguably the worst division in baseball. Congratulations, dude. <laughs> this stupid ass haircut. Get out of my face, Josh Naylor. Hit under 200 for the series, loser. Okay. Anyway, just had to get that one off my chest. Um. Going into the next series against Houston, obviously Houston has been a house of horrors for the New York Yankees. One of the big, one of their big advantages that the Yankees have is that there's no role to Chapman to give up the uh, series-ending home run this um, this series because he's no, not on the team. Um, your biggest concern going into the Houston series, obviously the Yankees are not favored. There's a litany of concerns. We have the scheduling with the weather basically throwing their rotation out of whack. We have the fact that this went five. They didn't take care of business in game two, which basically was a domino effect uh, in terms of setting up their pitching and having Jamison Tyone going against Verlander game one. But what's your biggest concern all things considered, going into this series, it's Aaron Judge. I mean, it has to be. They got away with one of the series. They got production from guys like Harrison Bader. That's not going to continue. I mean, look, it could. Harrison Bader could just be a postseason guy, but at the end of the day, our biggest dog, the best hitter in the world, was so just like he wasn't even there. He, he never showed up. I mean, I don't know how many. What was the official strikeout tally at the end of the series? It had to be over at least ten to fifteen. Like, we're talking crazy numbers. And once again, I've always said this about Aaron Judge: he has hit thirteen home runs, I think, in the postseason, which is like he's going to beat the Yankee record probably at some point in his career if he stays with the Yankees. But my God, every single home run he hits are in the first three innings. The second you get out of the first three innings, he becomes just useless. He strikes out in every at-bat, every big moment at-bat. It's just a strikeout. And the most concerning one, to me at least, was game five in the first inning. It was a 3-2 count. So this is a – you're looking for a strike here. Cal Quantrill throws a curveball. It was middle-middle in the zone, and he looked so Savali. Oh, Savali. My bad. It was Savali. Savali threw that just middle-middle curveball, and it was – just like this was a meatball should have been hit 450 feet. And he looked so just, it was such an ugly swing. And I was just like, he looks lost at the plate. Like he honestly, I know people, I probably could get hate for this, but he always looks lost at the plate in the playoffs. His average is atrocious. He hits homers, but he strikes out at such an awful rate. It's at like 65% now his strikeout rate in the postseason. Well, I mean, it definitely gets inflated after you basically strike out your first eight at-bats uh, of a series 
Yeah, it was not a good series for Judge. He just looked in between. Um, the most encouraging part about it was the base hit he got at the end of Game 5. It was just like maybe that will just get him on the right track in terms of just putting the ball in play and not being, you know, hit or miss. I mean, the offense to me is the biggest concern. I, where would they be without Harrison Bader? I have no idea. I mean, they, they, they get swept. Uh, I mean – we love Oswaldo Cabrera, but he had, what, two hits in the series? Yeah, no, he and one of them was a home run. I mean, Rizzo showed up, but, I mean, Stanton looks, you know, as feast or famine as ever. They're not going to win maybe any games in Houston if they're going to hit 180. It's just not happening. Yeah, no, I think they got out hit in, like, I think four out of the five games this, like this series. Like, that is... It's ugly. You know, you look at the stat line, even from like last night, like it was like five hits, three hits, like whatever, four hits. It was like, you're like, ugh, like this, you can't beat Houston like this because the Guardians pitchers, and look, their bullpen is phenomenal. Their top arms, really, really good. But yeah. their starters made a lot of mistakes and they would jump on them. Justin Verlander will not make those mistakes. Uh, Framber Valdez will not make those mistakes. You gotta like you gotta string together better at bats. That's really what it's all about. Going into game one. By the way, who's the guy with the stirrups? Who is wearing the stirrups? Those you know those old school socks on the Indians. He's the reliever. Last name long oh. last name start with a K. I like him. He's really oh, good. Oh um um Karinchuk. Yeah, Karinchuk. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's really awesome, and he's just like old-school, quirky baseball dude. Sometimes you, you got to have those. Um, going into game one, obviously, Verlander against Jamison Tyone. On paper, it's not looking good for the New York Yankees. Would you say that losing game one, you just chalk it up to – you kind of go into this game like not expecting to win. If you lose, it's not a big deal. You kind of just stack the – the deck for the rest of the series or is losing game one a death sentence considering Verlander can basically go three games in the series the way the scheduling works yeah no I think game one is the is the only way they win this series if they win game one because if you lose game one now you got pressure on game two now all of a sudden you can be down 2-0 and we've seen the Astros love the Bronx we play better in Houston I mean, not in the postseason necessarily, because in the postseason we have not played well there. But just in, in in total, we have played better in Houston than we do at home against them. And they clearly don't phase Yankee Stadium. They like to play there. Jordan Alvarez rakes because the short porch you can hit a yeah. fly ball and it's a homer. But I really game one to me is like not necessarily they need to really win, but they need to show me something. They can't do what they've done in the past where lose like four, nothing and you have three hits and you just got mowed down by Verlander. The last time we faced Verlander in the postseason, we hit him. So let's hit him again. We can do it. I believe they can. I just think they need to put up better at bats. That's all it is. Where are you going for more offense? It's Aaron Judge. If, if you no, I, yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about like, he's, he's a given. He's going to be in the lineup. How, if you were the, you know, managing the team, how would you jiggle the lineup to make sure you get the utmost offensive output? Because you know, the pitching matchups are not in their favor in Houston. So, so where would you go for that extra push? Because Ben Attendee's not going to be ready. Um, like, like where are you going? Well, to me, it seems pretty simple. It's, it's either or. It's either. Um... You put Oswaldo at short, and then you have Carpenter in the outfield. Or are not going to do that. No way. So then, I mean, I'm not really sure how you go about that because, or maybe you put Stan in the outfield. If you put Stan in the outfield, then you open up a lot more options because if Stan's in the outfield and Oswaldo's at short, then you can either put Carpenter as a DH or is LeMahieu on the roster? I've not been able to look at the roster yet. I don't know if they came out with I'm not 100% sure. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think they, they, he was saying batting practice before game five, so I wasn't sure if he was going to be on the roster or not. I don't know if it's been released. But if he's on the roster, then, yeah, you can either put LeMahieu there or Carpenter. 
Personally, I think if it was a right-hander like Verlander, I think I'd rather have Carpenter in the lineup because this Houston series is going to be all about hitting home runs. And the Yankees need to hit the timely ones and ones with runners on base. Stanton in the outfield makes me a little nervous only because he hasn't played it in a while and it seems to always get him hurt. I mean, I would love to have LeMahieu in the lineup because they really don't have anybody to lead off and we want to move Aaron Judge out of the leadoff spot. But even with LeMahieu coming back, like, say what you want about Donaldson in the regular season and, and I've griped about him plenty, but he kind of showed up in the playoffs you know, in the playoffs in the first round. So he's going to play. I'm just, I'm not sure where the internal answers are. I, I guess it's just like hoping the bats, like, would just wake up a little bit. The Ben attendee injury is really brutal because, like, he could have let off, right? Like, he was exactly what you wanted. And we, we rag on Cashman all you want about not getting Luis Castillo, about all these different things. But, like, the Ben attendee trade – was one of the best moves, you know, at the deadline. And it's just the fluke injury, and it kind of will probably sink their season. If there was going to be a ray of hope, right, a ray of hope for the Yankees going into this series, what do you think it is? Because um, to me, it's 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 very, you know, to me, it's it's easy to map out. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, look, they need – Ron Marinaccio to be fully healthy. I think that's a humongous piece because right now they've got, I'd say three relievers who we can really trust in like the big moments. If you get Ron Marinaccio back now, that's four. Now we can really string together games and we don't have to blow our whole bullpen in one game. I mean, Wandy Peralta has pitched all five postseason games. Like he's going to burn out at some point. Like he's definitely not pitching tonight. And he'll probably be available for game two, but he could be burned out. Pitchers are not supposed to throw five games in a row. So if we can get Ron Marinaccio Yeah, there's back, no way he's pitching tonight. No yeah, chance. No. So I, and I think Ron Marinaccio is back. I think he will be on the roster. I think they said that he just couldn't make it for the ALDS, but I think he should be back. And if he's back, that's a humongous piece. And honestly, he was our best arm this year out of the bullpen. He was lights out every game. And he's not afraid of the moment, which I love. So I, I think the ray of hope really is just getting Marinaccio back and just hoping that the bullpen could string together games because, I mean, as we always seen, like these games against Houston in the playoffs, they're won early in the games. So the starters got to do their jobs. And then if your bullpen can hold it, then you can give yourself a chance to win. The Scott Ifras injury is, is looming really, really large and it, it sucks. To me, the ray of hope is that Cole and Nestor pitch really well at home. And if, you, if you're going to get them for games three and four, if you somehow manage to scratch out a win in game two or game game one or game two, but more likely in game two, then you've set yourself up where you just have to, you know, you take care of business. Those two guys take care of business. And then it's just a 50-50 chance. And if the bats wake up, you know, maybe. But I, as happy as I am as the Yankees are here, I just really have a hard time envisioning them winning. And it's not even so much that I'm down on the team. It's just – the injury bug is really hurting them right now. And their lack of the depth and their lack of flexibility lineup wise really hurts them. Yeah. I mean, let's also not forget Houston's a really good team. Yeah. They're like, really good too. I, it, yeah. Like they, they, they're starting there. I mean, they're three pitchers that they're going to use against us four guys. I mean, I, I, they, they just shut everyone down. So it's going to be a really, really tough season, uh, series, but to be honest, like, as you said, if they can find a way to get one in, in the next two games in these first two, it, it would it would just play humongous for them because, look, you're going to get Nestor and Cole at home for either game three, four, or five, whichever whatever combination you want to see it as. You're going to get them for those games, and 
you need to make sure you win those two games. When your two best pitchers are on, they need yeah. to win those games, especially at home. Yeah. But look, I will say, once again, the schedule is not playing well for us. Game three is at five o'clock on a Saturday. Game five is at like four o'clock on a Monday. We, I, I just, I don't understand what the scheduling is about right now. Why I'm can't we get our night games? about that? And just in terms of the, of the, um, the days off in between, right? Like if, if they would have been able to get Cole one extra day, he could have gone in one of the first two games. And then it's like a completely different series. But because of the way it worked out and with the with the rain affecting the Indian series, excuse me, the Guardian series, it just it just, they didn't get any breaks. Yeah, no, they didn't. And look, I mean, I understand that, but to me, like, and it it, it showed our best game was at seven o'clock at night in the Bronx. There's an atmosphere to baseball. There are a bunch of people that cannot make it to a four o'clock game on a weekday. Monday yeah. game five is at four o'clock on a Monday. Who is going to go to this game? This is the problem. The, the, the league has to understand that if you're going to schedule home games for a team, it has to be at night it, it, unless it's on the weekend. Yeah, but they don't want to go against Monday night football as much as possible. But, but then you know what? Then they should have made, then they should have given Houston a game that's on a, that's on a weeknight, a weekday at like five o'clock. It's it's absurd. Houston's all their games are seven o'clock, seven o'clock, then six o'clock, then seven o'clock. They're playing prime time slots almost. Versus the Yankees get one prime time slot. We're talking about Yankee Stadium not getting prime time slots on, especially on a Saturday night. They couldn't give them Saturday night baseball at like eight eight p.m. You know, it, there's a different atmosphere when you're playing at a home game. Look. The Bronx was not buzzing during the day. It really never does. It always feels a little weird when you play a playoff game during the day. I think I think a Saturday five oh seven start will will get people out. I, I, I do hope. I, I mean, do. look, it's it's college football though. College football is a huge thing during the day. Yeah, but not not in New York. I know Syracuse <laughs> is in the I know Syracuse is in the top twenty right now, and you're pumping your top fist. fifteen, top fifteen, but. That's not going to be a, um, you know, a major, a major hindrance in terms of the New York Yankee fan getting there on a five on five p.m. on a, a Saturday afternoon for Game Three. Let me ask you this: Who's closing games? I I think it's just going to be whoever they're feeling. I mean, as of right now, I, I'd put out Wandy. I think Wandy is the least scared. I want to say he just goes right after you. He doesn't get affected by emotion, and honestly. Clay's stuff is definitely the nastiest. I mean, Loisaga has been amazing. Like, lights out Loisaga like we yeah. saw last year. But By the way, he's not pitching tonight either. After oh, going yeah, no, he's, he's, he's done. He's done. It's Tonight's going to probably be a Clay night, and you'll probably see Marinaccio. But to go back to the other point, like, I, I think Wandy has to be the closer. He has shown you that he can close games. Clay, obviously, in the beginning of the year did, but he's – a little bit of a mental case and it's a little too risky to throw clay out there against a team like the Astros because I mean, they could pounce on you at any point. And Wandy really doesn't give up homers. You know, Wandy, yeah. when Wandy's not right, it's like blue string of hits, string of hits. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's nothing hard contact wise or walking people. So I really think, I mean, look, knowing the Yankees are going to play it by whoever they're feeling, but I think Wandy should really be the, the closer for the New York Yankees going forward. It- you never want to punt games in the playoffs, but if there was ever a time to punt a game, it's tonight for the Yankees because all the all the you know chips are stacked against you anyway. I know winning four out of six is a really tough proposition, but you burned your bullpen a little bit last night, which was weird because like I know Nestor was maybe on a little bit of a short rest, but like why pull him after the five? Like pull him after six, you scratch out another inning, and it saves, it saves you know a little bit of uh, wear and tear on Loizaga, which could have then saved another reliever. It's just weird. It was just weird decisions by Aaron Boone. I mean, I know it's survive and dance at this point, but like, I just, I just thought it was weird. Like, why pull him? But whatever. I I think Clay Holmes has shown a little bit where it's like. 
a little bit higher leverage because they have no other options, right? Like they just have no other options. So I'll let you out on this. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how uh, optimistic are you about this series going our way? Uh, I know people will probably hear this after the series already starts just because the way, you know, with editing and all that kind of stuff. But where are you at right now emotionally? I'm going to say a four out of 10. And the only reason why I didn't say five, because this is not a 50-50 series. It's not. The Astros are yeah. the better team. The better structure, their lineup is like everything is just better. But I will say this: but if the Yankees catch fire, and I will say they have not caught fire, they have played like garbage these last five games. These are not Yankee games; they're not. They have been they've looked awful at the plate. But if they can find a way to catch a little bit of fire, and you know, three games, two games stretch, whatever it is, they can win the series because the pitching is there. The pitching is really, really good. Yeah. You know, their starters are, and I said it from the beginning of the year, these are really good starters. And Nestor has clearly shown you that he can pitch in the postseason. Sevi had a, you know, pretty good, pretty good out. Severino's the key to the series, by the yeah, way. Yeah. He's I the most important agree. player in this series. Because he's going to get two starts, and those two starts, they need to be quality starts. Yeah. Like, you need to see it from him because you know he can do it. You just need to see it. So I agree with you. I think Because if he starts game two, because if he starts game two, he's the swing guy. Like, that's what yeah. it is. I mean, if you're assuming, you know, an L against Verlander, and, you know, Tyone has pitched better in the second half of the season, but come on, he's not Verlander. Um, like, Severino is the is the the swing piece because he has the stuff and the ability to be a number one-like dude. It's just he's been hurt for so long, has missed a whole bunch of time. But, like, remember, like, he was, like, a Cy Young candidate at one point, and then he got hurt. My confidence level is, like, a three and a half, four as well. I just – all the things that the Yankees needed to break right just haven't, right? They just haven't. The, the scheduling was weird. Losing game two really set them back. And then with the rain and the, everything being pushed back and basically treating these playoff games like a regular season in terms of travel days and no days off, it's just it's just tough. And they just don't have the flexibility lineup-wise that you would want. It's just – it's a really tall task for them to win this series. Last, last question. Assuming they don't win this series – what are you doing with Aaron Boone at the end of the year? Because in all fairness, they've been in the ALCS three of the last six years. I mean, look, that question would have been a lot easier if they would have lost this series. I think if they lost the series, you have to fire him because putting Clark Schmidt out for a save opportunity was maybe one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a manager do. Or at do. least let him start the inning clean. Yeah, I, it, it, it just – none of it made sense. Like – he came. I think Clark Schmidt came in, and then they brought in a lefty hitter. Like, wh what are we doing? Wandy was on the mound, but besides that, I mean, look, they're going to keep him. He's their guy, and yeah, I mean, you're right. They've been in the ALCS. Like, this is their third time now in the ALCS in the last like six years. Six years, but 2017, he was not the manager, so that's important. They've been twice actually right. under Aaron Boone, but yeah, I mean. Every year that they've played, they've been beat by a good team. So I will, I, except for the Boston series last year, I will give them that. When they lose, they are losing to top leverage teams who end up going to the World Series almost every year. So, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd rather a culture change, but I think we all know that won't happen. So they'll probably keep him for the rest of his contract. I think so too. I think so too. I'm not sure that they're gonna make a that they're gonna make a switch. Um, I think had they lost, I think they would have been forced to. But we know this management team and this uh, ownership group doesn't want to rock the boat too much. They don't want to pay any extra money that they don't have to, uh, which may bite them in the ass in the off season. Uh, but we'll we'll deal with that when the time comes. I think he'll probably stay. Uh, but in terms of my confidence level, I am about a three and a half, four. If Severino gives me a really good start, I'll probably jump up to like a six. 
but that's where I'm at right now. Andrew, this was this was fun, man. Yankees will be on the big TV in the ATH house tonight. I know it's Nick's opening night, but Yankees get top billing because, well, whatever. I'm not super high on the Knicks right now. Always good to catch up. Obviously, we will be talking offline throughout this series. And let's hope for the best, my man. Let's hope for the best. And congrats on your Syracuse Orange being in the top 15, the AP poll for college football. Yeah, no, we're coming into Death Valley, coming in hard. We're going to get the win against Clemson. I feel it. This team is special. We're taking it. We're running the, We're running New York right now. We are the best team in, in New York right now. I can say that confidently. I have more confidence in the Syracuse Orange than I do in the Yankees. So let's go, Q's. Q's by a milli. Well, that's only because go. you're not a Ranger fan. The Rangers are yeah, the best. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Uh, the and Islanders the most are- well-run team in New York, too. The Islanders look pretty good, though. They've looked sneaky good in their first couple games. So maybe I, we'll th- I think the Islanders are going to have a bounce back year. Andrew, it was nice to talk to you, bud. I'll speak to you soon, kiddo. Awesome, yeah. Thank Bye. you. Thanks again to recurring guest Andrew Sunder for coming on in a pinch to talk about the Yankees. Maybe they're going to surprise us a little bit. I know we didn't sound super optimistic, but you know what? Stranger things have happened. With that said, that's episode 180 for the love of the game. Let's go, Yankees, and take us out. Nipsey Hussle. All seen was stunts. 50 Cent and Mayweather played the same with us. Chose stars. All my life. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Hustle paid the price. Want a slice. Got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life. I've been grinding all my life. Look. All my life. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why All my life, I've been grinding all my life, look Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.